This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome into One Bills Live. Happy Thursday afternoon. Maddie Glab alongside Steve Tasker as we inch closer to training camp. Oh my gosh. Practices start next week on Wednesday at St. John Fisher University. Rookies have reported they're here. The players are starting to file into this <laughs> building to get back. To work, baby. It seems like we've been on the cusp of training camp for like a month now. We've Talking been about oh my gosh, we're just waiting and I'm waiting. Sorry, guys. It's, and now we're in the last week. It's like oh, it's like waiting Let's for class. It. It's waiting for you know Let's your chemistry class to end. You know, it's I like you just pack. look at the just you can you got to I, I need I need the weekend pack. All so I need is a okay. lunch pail. I go back and forth every day. I'm yeah. not staying over there. Are you kidding me? <laughs> No way. Tasker loves St. John Fisher, though. I do. I like St. John Fisher. You love the lunches. It's nice to visit, and the lunches are great. They get treated very well over there, but, you know, I like sleeping in But you home. like sleeping in your own bed. The you know dorm, what? I, I like yeah. sleeping in a dorm for a month. I like to pretend like I'm back in yeah. college. <laughs> a dorm is no place for a man my age. It is. <laughs> I can understand that. That is not a place for That me. is a o. Okay. Yeah, it is. And but I'll say this though, I'm and we were I, you saw I got worked up before we came on. I'll, yeah, you want to you want to share with pick, the viewers. They're picking the against listeners. us. The Jets and the Dol- everybody's picking the Jets or Dolphins to win the division. Everybody. 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 Except you except, and me. Except, except you except and me. The people in this building. That's it. And our fans. They scored more points than anybody except one team in the league last year. They had more drives they had fewer drives that ended in a punt or turnover than anybody except Kansas City last year. They scored more points. They led the. They were second in the league in turnovers and second in the league in drop passes. So they did it to themselves. They lost three total games in the regular season by a total of eight points with a first-year offensive coordinator. With like three guys offensively that had sub subpar years for them. They had injuries everywhere, two major snowstorms, a home game moved to the road. They had the death of a sibling of one of the players, and one of their players expired on the field and had to be revived late in the year. Injuries galore. The president of the club had a heart attack. I mean, it was like one thing after another last year, and they still plowed everybody. Right down to the last until they ran out of finally got ran out of gas. And but and now throughout the last five months, six months, you and I and Brownie and everybody out here, we've been sitting here watching this team build it again. And I mean build it better. I mean they are better. They're bigger, more physical inside, more athletic. They're and now they've got their health back. They're gonna get Von Miller back. They got Leonard Floyd in the fold. Their corners are going to be healthy, for goodness sakes. Their safeties are going to be healthy. They got a running back who can fly, who's not, who's going to be the guy now. They got two guys behind him that are that have killed this team in the past. They got a first round draft pick that everybody wanted. They're better, and nobody's picking them. Nobody's picking them. Nobody. I can't believe it. I don't think people realize how good this team got in the offseason. Our general manager, Brandon Bean, he learns year to year what this team needs, and then he goes out and grabs what the team needs. A tight end 
in the first round of the NFL draft to give Josh Allen another weapon to throw off defenses when this team decides to go into 12 personnel. And you don't know if Dalton Kincaid is going to block or is going to line up wide and catch a pass from Josh Allen. You get a couple of offensive linemen, one of them who started on a Super Bowl roster and another one who's been a multi-year starter for the Dallas Cowboys. This roster, we've said it this offseason, is deeper than I've known since I started working here in 2019. And it's not deep with guys who are good third string, second string options. It's deep with starters. Yeah, it it is. they were in offensively last year. They were number two in yards per game, number three in yards per play, number seven in rushing yards a game, and number two in rushing yards per play. So they didn't run it. They were number seven in passing yards per game and per play. Number uh, I mean, one in were, point differential. They were number two in yard uh, first downs a game. They were number one in third down conversion. Number nine in the red zone. They turned it over a ton in the red zone. They were still top ten. Yep, ninth in red zone efficiency. First in third down conversion percentage. Pick somebody else. Second in score percentage when you're looking at just drives that end up in a field goal or a touchdown. Ken Dorsey's going to get better. Got more weapons. Got more. The two stats that were bugaboos for this team last year. 30th in turnovers and 31st in turnover per drive percentage. That is something that you can fix. That's you. That's us. And you better believe our quarterback and our offense and our offensive coordinator are working together to make it better. When have we gone into a season when Josh Allen has needed to fix something and we haven't seen that fixed? I was going to say that too. Josh is on everybody's top two or three quarterback list right he's he's one of the he's one of the best players in the national football league and it's it's widely accepted you can you can have conversations whether he's four or five or two or three or whatever whatever but the thing that bills fans i think if you go back and look all the way back to the beginning in his rookie season and then all the way through that first year and in his second year you look at the at the improve the tangible stuff you watched i mean he just got better he Knocked out big mistakes. He didn't do this anymore. You know, he didn't. He started to throw it away when the play was dead. He'd run and he'd he'd run out of bounds. He wouldn't take hits. He started he'd, he'd jumping, go, jumping over. He still does that once in a while, you know. But the guy has gotten better and better and better. And in 2020, when they take took that enormous leap forward, it was in large measure because Josh improved and cut out the big miss. Uh, he continues to do that. And now, because he's come so far, it's more it, – it's more – Heightened. Yeah, it's more pinpoint of what mm-hmm. he's working on. And certainly a lot of what he works on now and what you've heard, you know, heard conversations and stuff is stuff inside the offense that he needs to do. Uh, and Brownie says, you know, just be satisfied with – and he's so – he was – he take never your, wanted to take, take the easy throws. Take your chunk throw. plays. He didn't want to take the easy throws. Yeah. It, it was too easy. Um, he wanted to get the big, the big chunk. Maybe a little too often. Probably a little too often. But he has improved. You said it, Maddie. He improves tangibly every year. And, it, and it's fun to think about what that's going to look like And this I year. think this team, and I, yes, they have it every year, but I think it gets bigger and bigger every season that they don't 
meet the goal of winning a Super Bowl, making it to a Super Bowl. I think that chip on their shoulder, that FU attitude, (laughs) grows bigger and bigger and bigger for this team. They have an attitude of us against the world. I think that's a little bit of where the the Steph Diggs thing came into when in this in the OTAs. He came in and said, "Listen, what, I want to, you know, he he had a hard conversation with Sean. I, I and I don't know what happened in there. I don't, I'm only surmising." Steph goes, "What are we going to do different this year? We've been getting snapped off at the last game every year. What are we going to do different this year?" And Sean had some answers for him. He'll say, here's what we're going to do different. Here's what's going to happen. That guy's a competitor. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He wants to win. And that's how they want it. That's how they want him yeah. to. You don't want him to change. You want him that guy. And that's, and you know, because I, I just, I came in today. I sat down getting ready for the show. Yeah, he, he was, and I, and I was fired, fired up when he up, sat down Everybody's picking seat. everybody else. Nobody, like, nobody's picking us. I mean, Nobody. All the ESPN guys, the NFL Network guys, they're all jumping on the jet and the Miami bandwagon. I'm like, man, dude. To that, fine. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm, do on it. On one hand, I kind of hesitate to even be talking like this because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to draw attention to the obvious of how good this. And I tell all, you can imagine coming around, going around Buffalo. You probably get asked too. You go out places and people, hi, Maddie. Hey, Maddie, mm-hmm. what do you really think about the team? You get it all the time, right? Well, I get it, and I tell everybody the same thing. They're a wrecking crew. They are going to crush people. You're going to have to play your best game and hope the Bills don't. Because if the Bills play their best game, no matter how good you play, you ain't good enough. If, if they don't play well and you play your best, you might have a shot of being one of those teams that beats them by three. Yeah. If you don't, you're done. I think the beast has been awoken within this team. After the way that last season ended, what they went through, right? the the being counted out this right. preseason, that's how this team wants it. They want to be those underdogs. They weren't the underdogs last year. They love being the underdog and proving people wrong. And who knows? Maybe once training camp starts and more stuff starts to get out about the depth within this team and, and how good this team is going to look this season and the connection and the chemistry that has just improved between Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey. Maybe once some national people start to come to camp soon enough, maybe the narrative will change a little because bit. Because You know how it is, though. I mean, for, for most people, particularly in the social media age we live in, it's, it's about a headline and having a hot take and getting some attention, that getting a, a flash of attention for your – for your story. That's what it's about. It's not really about going digging deep and saying the Bills haven't done anything to improve their, you know, the offensive line, not realizing the biggest free agent contract they gave out all year was to the offensive guard, Connor McGovern. They, they invested a second-round pick in an offensive guard. They brought in the starting guard for the Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams two years ago. They got, you know, I mean, it's one thing after another. They brought in a starting right tackle to compete with Spencer Brown in Shell. I mean, that, these guys are I – mean, so they just don't – I mean, I heard a, a national guy say that those exact things, their offensive line, I don't know, they haven't really improved. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, what? What else can you do? Yeah, I, I don't know. The I, big we'll contracts see. went out with the offensive linemen that were on the free agency market right away, and I don't know if any of us thought we were going to land – one of the biggest guys that was out on the market just because of the fact of and and our salary cap situation. 
I think we knew we were going to go after some offensive linemen, but maybe not the top-tier guys. And the guys that we went after are starters. They've been starters for years on their teams that they were coming from. Yeah, yeah. and that's – you know, it gets lost, and it's not it's not easy for you know national guys to keep up with every single team. And you feel like if you're at that level, I'm I'm guessing um, that you've got a handle on those teams because you watched them play throughout the playoffs. You watched them at the end of the year because they were making a run at the playoffs and they were going to be an important player. They were the Super Bowl favorites, so you feel like you already have a handle on it. You don't realize. And I, I think this is something that's different about the Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, Buffalo Bills over the course of their tenure here. They have been free, felt free to churn the roster at a higher level than most teams were doing up until the time they took over. Now other teams are starting to get on the bandwagon and doing a little bit of what Sean and Brandon are doing. Um, a lot of one-year contracts to important contributors or guys you're really going to depend on. They do that a lot, and I think they've been the first ones to do that regularly. But then they also have been the team that rewards those guys. They come in and they play well. There have been guys, even on the offensive line in years past, where they've really they've given them an extension, given them an extra couple of years, and getting gotten three or four good years out of those players. Uh, their way of doing business has been a little bit different because they do churn their roster, not just at the bottom where, you know, you're churning you know, the third linebacker and the fourth safety and, the, you know, these guys trying to get better on special teams or whatever. They're churning guys that have been contributors. And – they only had three wide – out of the five or seven wide receivers on the roster last year, only three of them are back. Yeah. Only three of them. But you got to think, too, they're younger, more athletic, and probably better than they were last year. That's what gets lost in all this. And that's just the wide receiver group. The offensive line is the exact same thing. There's a ton of new guys, new faces there. The defensive line, same thing. They've got a lot of new faces that, unless you're paying attention, it's hard to keep track of. And you know, Leonard Floyd is not just a guy. No. You know, he's and a, he's a late signing. And and I'm the other guy was mentioning uh Brandon Shell. He's not just a guy. No, he was a, he played time. He, he played right tackle for the Dolphins. Yes. So these guys show up here and and some of it has to do with the fact the team is is in it. They are they got a shot at it. And these players would say, "You know what? I want to I want to do that. I want to be a part of that." And some of it is Brandon and Sean giving them something and selling them on a on a culture and a way. You know, if they come in here and play, they're going to get a play and practice and play well. They're not going to sit on the bench just because somebody's a draft pick ahead of them. I mean, ask Kyrie Elam how that works. This team won seven straight games to end the regular season. If you take out that Cincinnati Bengals game, that but did not count. Yeah. Right. Seven straight wins when they weren't playing their best football. This team came out of the Man. gate and was playing their best football. That's right. And there was there was some drop-off toward the end of the season because you had those injuries. You had things happening. Um, the wide receiver room seemed very bare by the end of the year because they brought on guys like John Brown and Cole Beasley, and, and you had to bring on some players to to help make things happen. And they won seven straight games. Yeah. You know, you look back. They had a bad last game to finish the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, and and that game, and I was, and I, before that game, and I'll, I'll admit too, I was telling people, um, 
in the pregame run in, that day, that morning of that game, I really thought the Bills were going to play well. I really thought they were going to play well. Um, I thought the DeMar Hamlin incident had kind of solidified them. The game that they put together against the Patriots and then coming out and playing against the Dolphins in the playoffs. And, and granted, it was a very close game, and they didn't, you know, they didn't really take control of that game. I thought the time had, you know, the, the enough time had passed. And then in retrospect, when the game went the way it did, it became evident to me that they were emotionally out of gas at that point when the, in the Cincinnati game. I thought they were going to come out and really play well, and it, all, it was painfully obvious that I, was, that I wasn't right. They were, they were emotionally spent in that game. And I don't think it had as much to do with the Cincinnati. Although the Bengals are a really good team. Let's get me if I'm wrong. Those guys are those guys are a wrecking crew too. The, the Bengals are good, and they were good that day. They played well that day, but the Bills were spent, and and they they laid a sinker too, and all of that stuff. You know, you scored this team scored ten points. They they didn't score ten points. Uh, the lowest they scored was seventeen in a loss against the Jets. I mean, and then they scored 19 against the Dolphins in a loss. That's the only time they ever scored less than 20 points, less than 23, less than 20 points. Next time they only scored 20 points was against the Jets when they beat them. I mean, this team was scoring 30, 28, 24, 27, 38, 24, 41, 31. I mean, they were ringing them people up through the season. They got to the end, they just couldn't get it going. The last time they scored 10 points in a game was during the 2021 season against the New England Patriots. Yeah, that was the, that was 40, the wind game. 40-mile-an-hour wind yeah. game, yeah. Yeah, so they, they were so spent at the end of last season, and I get it too. The same thing that put the Bills at the top of the heap last year in the preseason when everybody said they got to go was that – you know, it was the Kansas City game, the 13-second game. This is their year. They're coming up there on it. They're ascending. The same thing that put them there, which was recency bias. The four-touchdown game by De Gabe Davis. They just you, looked unstoppable offensively. You finished offensively. the season playing one of the most memorable games right. and then, of that year. So the same thing that put them at the top of the heap last year is the same thing that's keeping them from being considered this year. And it's, re it's the last game they played, the mm -hmm. Cincinnati game. Forget about all the – the 40-point games and the 38-point games and the 30-point games and the 35-point games. They, had, they scored 35 points in two of the last three regular season games last year. So, I mean, forget all that. It's the last game, and that's the only thing people give any credence to. Um, I, I just fight against that mentality. There's too much in this, in this building to think this team isn't going to be different than it was in the last game of last season after everything that happened to him. And we've seen signs of it already. You go out and watch practice. I mean, there's just too many guys. You're looking around going, wow, I can't wait to see Dalton Kincaid play. I think, well, that, you know what? Knox, he's going to have a hard time getting ahead of Dawson. He's like, oh, James James Cook, can't wait to see him play. Well, you know what? Latavius Murray and, and, and uh, Damian Harris, I want to see them play too. Oh, and now yeah, Diggs. Diggs is a given. I mean, you got to watch him play. So there are all these guys you want to watch, and it's like, man, oh, man, this is really going to be fun to watch this team take shape in training camp. And uh, I'm just – I'm sitting over here tapping my foot 
like just looking at all the TV, all the, the networks, the ESPN guys, the NFL network guys, Fox Sports guys, the national radio guys that we pay that I pay attention to. I'm like, I'm like, well, dudes, you're missing, you're missing it. And we'll see. I, and once again, too, I could be a dope. I don't know, but man, oh man, that's the way I feel. And yeah, the Jets are good, and the Dolphins are good, and they got better this off season. But so did so did the Bills. And you better believe that when it comes time to face those teams for a first and a second time. This team is going to be able to fight with and keep up with those teams because of the roster, because of the familiarity with those two teams. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what this team does really good that we haven't seen them do well for a while. I think I would suspect they're going to run the ball more effectively, although you know, last year they were number two in the NFL in runs, yards per rushing play. Thanks to Josh. Well, thanks to Josh. Well, hey, he's still on the team. That's true. Uh, they're also going to be – they're also – It'll be fun to see if they do things well, if they're going to run the ball better, if they're going to you know, use the running backs in the passing game better, if their tight ends are going to explode, if Dalton Kincaid turns into this phenom. Um, Shaquille, Shakir, what's he going to do? And let alone, they still have to have a plan for digs because that guy's still really good. Mm-hmm. And I'll, t- excuse me, I'll say this too. I can't wait for the day because I don't think it's going to happen early but in the first month, month and a half of the season, Vaughn Miller and Leonard Floyd are going to be on the field, and Greg Rousseau is going to be in there with Ed Oliver. They're going to put all four of those defensive guys. Good they're going to night move, quarterback. They can move Greg Rousseau down inside. He did a lot of that mm-hmm. in college his senior year at Miami. They put him right on the nose. They did the same thing with Ed Oliver. They put him in there, and he's explosive. In fact, he's a disruptor. And one of the reasons they extended him in a, in a league where they, the only thing you look at is sacks – they extended Ed Oliver not because he gets a lot of sacks, but he disrupts yeah. a lot of offensive plays. Mm-hmm. He's He plays on their side of the line of scrimmage. So he put that in conjunction with Greg Rousseau maybe down inside, Leonard Floyd on the outside, and Vaughn Miller on the outside. I, I can't wait for that. Um, you know, you say that, and then, you know, I'll, you never know. Maybe something happens and they only line up there twice together. Don't forget, Tredavious White and Vaughn Miller saw three plays together on the field. Jeez. Three. That's so, a good point to ask her. It would be really nice to see all the Watch best players out. play. Well, we are already on one at 123 on a Thursday afternoon for the season, which kicks off on uh, week one, September 11th, a game against the New York Jets. They had their first practice today. I thought Aaron Rodgers was supposed to speak. I saw some tweets saying that people were expecting that. Haven't seen any quotes come out yet about that, but we'll let you know. We'll keep you posted about any practice updates. I know some people are tired of hearing about the Jets, but... We're just starting up with that talk. Um, We've got Sam Monson from PFF on the show today. He just released the 50 best players in the NFL right now. That came out today. And Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs were on that list. So we'll definitely talk to him about that and where they rank on the list as well. We also have... A topic today, what should the Bills' top three goals for this year's training camp be? So you can tweet at us, call us, 803-0550. There's a lot of things that you could put as the top three goals for this team in training camp. One of them could just be as simple as staying healthy. 
getting healthy, staying healthy. That could be one yeah. and two. <laughs> I, yeah, nobody's ever wishing anybody to get hurt. But I, I think if you want to, you got to, I think most important thing is get everybody on the same page, the whole team, offense, defense, get them into the culture, get them to where they feel like a team together. When they walk in, there's nobody on the team that you can't talk to as a player. You got to walk in of whoever it is you see, whether he's an offensive guy or defensive guy, you say, hey, man, you know, and, and your friends. Mm -hmm. That's job one at training camp. And that's why I think one of the big things that Sean McDermott feels is important, taking him away. They're only over there for 16 practices. I mean, that's it. 16 practices over there. And then a couple of them interspersed practices here yeah. but during that time. But over there, there's only going to be 16 practices. And so you get those guys to where they can walk into the locker room and who, no matter what teammate they see, they meet, you know, with their, their buddies with them, right? That's job one at a training camp. And then the next thing, of course, is to get everybody to where they are a Ph.D. level in their offensive or defensive schemes. You've got to have a, doctor's de a doctorate degree in the offense you're running or the defensive scheme you're running. And once, once everybody's on that page – you know, you can shift gears. Yeah. yeah. A couple items we want to get to before the break. Some news around the NFL. So let's go around the NFL presented by Kaleida Health. And we were talking about the Jets wanting to trade wide receiver Denzel Mims. Well, that happened yesterday after the show broke. What, last night I saw that come across. The Jets are trading wide receiver Denzel Mims to the Lions. The Lions are also getting a 2025 seventh-round pick. The Jets get a 2025 conditional sixth-round pick. Other Jets news, Brees Hall, Randall Cobb, and C.J. Uzama are all going to start training camp on the active PUP list. I saw an article come out shortly within the last few minutes about Brees Hall and kind of saying that they're they're hoping and thinking that he'll be ready for that week one game against the Bills but they want to slow play his injury slow play him coming back onto the field according to Robert Sala who spoke with the media I believe after practice today they had their first training camp practice we're awaiting to hear from Aaron Rodgers we'll let you know if any fun quotes come out of that press conference so a little bit of news and notes there on the Jets and, and we talked about the running backs some of the big names that were hoping for long-term extensions didn't get that when the deadline hit they'll be now playing on the franchise tag some of them We'll see when they report uh, to training camp. If they do, Saquon Barkley is one of those players. The Giants and Saquon were, were in talks, it seemed like, almost all offseason trying to come to terms on a deal. It didn't happen, and so Saquon Barkley is, my, is now saying, you know, I might have to sit out this season because he's not happy with that franchise tag being placed on him. The last time a running back sat out for a season, Lev Bell. Le'Veon Bell. It did not work out for him. You can't I don't do want to put them in the same box together, but you can't. What do, do you it. think about that? You can't do it. You can't sit out. Don't be. Don't be a dope. They're giving you. They're giving you ten point nine million dollars. Take the money. Play well. Come back and get another deal the next year from a, from them or somebody else. You. You cannot. Taking a year off does nothing but sap a year, and and it will lessen your appeal to other teams. Um, say no question, and I, I I don't know. I don't get the outrage about 
how running backs are being underpaid or undervalued. Well, here's the reason. You know, there's a ton of really good athletes out there who know how to run the football, and the drop-off between an elite running back and a just an okay running back isn't tangible enough to justify millions and millions of dollars. You can, you can get more production on your football team by spending those millions and millions of dollars on a receiver or mm -hmm. a pass rusher or a corner. Uh, the drop-off between an elite running back and a, and a good running back is not significant enough to, to warrant the kind of money you're putting into them. So that's, you know, you take, Saquon, take the money, <laughs> take the one-year, take the deal. It's guaranteed once you sign the deal and move on and play your best and bless your heart, stay healthy. You know, that's, it's a, it's a sport like that. That's the way. That's the way the world turns. It's you don't have to like it, but that's the reality of it. And you're not gonna you're not gonna fight it. It's just the way it is. You're not gonna get that money. You're not gonna get a fifteen million dollar a year deal, a five year deal like that, guaranteed. It's not gonna happen. The, there's just too much history of teams doing that and not having it work out. So, yeah, I'm. I wouldn't be – I mean, I get it. Saquon might hold out because now he's backed himself into a corner. I think it's a mistake. you got to take the money, play this year, play well, and, and, and then make hay next year in your next contract if you can. One more quick note before we go to break. The NFL owners are meeting today in Minneapolis where they're expected to approve the sale of the Washington Commanders from Dan Snyder to Josh Harris. Harris is most known for his ownership of the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers and the NHL's New Jersey Devils. So we're also awaiting news on that, expected for that to come today. All right, break time for us. When we come back, we'll dip into that tweet sheet, answer any calls, give us a call at 803-0550. What should be the Bills' top three goals for this year's training camp? We're One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. We're back here on One Bills Live. We're discussing our topic for today. What should the Bills' top three goals for this year's training camp be? Let's get to our tweet sheet brought to you by the Corgan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And we'll first go to Bills fan number one. They say the trenches, quick passing game, and also the kicking game. With the new rules in effect this year, we need to find new ways to keep the kicking game part of the game. Sometimes that's what gets a team jacked up when a good special teams play happens. What do you think about those three tasks here? Let's go first with the trenches. Agree. Yeah, trenches. Yeah, it all. I mean, it's where it starts. It's a. Tr it's a yeah, it's trite. I mean, it's an old. Tr it, it all starts up front, and that's true. And it's everybody's tired of hearing it because it's not flashy it's not creative it's not it never changes it's a physical game and the bigger stronger faster more athletic most athletic guys you have up front that can dominate the other side of the line of scrimmage you win games um so yeah that's it that's why you and i are and brownie and we've all been talking about the offensive line and the revamped offensive line and the defensive guys coming back um how excited we are about it because it all starts up there and i think brandon and sean 
even early in their tenure here, had it proven to them time and time again how important it was. And I don't think they've forgotten. What about the kicking game with the new rules in effect this year, finding new ways to keep the kicking game a part of those games, well, a part of the game? I kind of look at that as like the team is going to adjust to the new rules just like every other team in the NFL yeah. is going to adjust to the new rules. And this coaching staff isn't going to go away at all from their belief in what special teams can do in right. that third phase of the game. Yeah, it's gonna, it, it brings in one more aspect where you can make choices about the kicking game. And I have, when they had the kickoff summit the last time, like four or five years ago, I can't remember exactly when it was, and I was actually invited. And they, there's 50 people in the room, and Troy Vinson, who's the vice president of football operations for the NFL, he kind of led the meeting also with Rich McKay once it really got going, Rich McKay took over. And they, they were committed at that time to keep what they called keeping the foot in the game of football. They wanted the kicking game to remain a part of the game. And they seemed committed to it. But they're only going to go so far because if it, if it continues to be by and but far and away the, the most dangerous play in football, they're going to do something with it. Um, if it was more in line with the rest of the football plays on the, on the, in a game, they probably wouldn't touch it. But they're going to continue to tinker with it. And it becomes harder and harder, even in this day and age, for the last 10 or 15 years, it's more difficult to make an impact on special teams because of alignment, rules, uh, you know, clean the, even the clean hands rule that came into effect when I was playing. You know, all this new the rule changes, the evolution of the game has really made it more and more difficult for a great special teams player to be impactful. Um, not – it was – much easier in my day, back in the early 90s, late 80s. Um, I don't know if it's going to continue and how far they're going to go with it. It's true. Think about, think about that Naheem Hines kickoff return in the Patriot game. I've never seen a play like I've never had a play affect me. You and I were sitting next mm -hmm. to each other, remember? I've never had a play affect me like that as, yeah. a, as a, at a, a spectator mm -hmm. or maybe even as a player. I've never seen any play, offense, defense, or special teams have that effect on the crowd or, or me or the players um, or the league the way that play did. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was moving. Yeah. And Josh, you know, Josh after the game said, hey, that, it just proved me God is real. You know, that's, that's how big it was. Mm -hmm. All that, you know, plays like that will never happen. If, if the league doesn't make an effort to make sure the possibility remains that they can. Um, it's, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it was, it's no question. It would be very, very sad if you take that possibility away from the game that something unbelievable could happen. Yeah. Because um, if the guy's back there fair catching it, nothing special is ever going to happen. That's true. We'll see what happens with it this year. I mean, from year to year the league is making changes and they have put rules in place and then the next year they, they change them. So sure. we'll see what happens. Maybe that's going to be the case. Maybe everybody decides, hey, this is this is better for the game because of safety or X, Y, Z. Um, we know that's at the forefront of some of those decisions as well. Number two from Low Buffalo, they say set the middle linebacker depth chart, test the plan for attacking the middle of the, the field. The middle of the field, whether it's Kincaid, 12 personnel, Deontay Hardy, et cetera, 
and third, settle the right guard battle. Those are three yeah. good goals. For Pretty this specific team. too. Yeah, the middle Number linebacker. Number one, you got to right do it, whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> going to do it. Somebody's going to line up there. Yeah. I. It's. And there's so much we don't know. Sean McDermott doing the defense may bring up different personnel combinations than we've seen under Leslie Frazier. They were always the same eleven guys on the field. There were two defensive tackles, two defensive ends, and then the DBs, linebackers and DBs. Uh, it never varied. It was always. Milano and Edmonds, Poyer and Hyde, the three corners, and the four defensive linemen. Always, except, you know, unless short yardage goal line. Is Sean McDermott going to have that same philosophy? And was how much of a part of that was he, you know, was that his insistence that it stayed that way? Don't know. Uh, The players may change this year. Um, We said it yesterday. Taron Johnson gives them the ability and confidence to go ahead and play nickel 95% of the time because he's competitive, and he jumps in on the run game hard. He's a buck 92. He's, he's little, but he still brings it. You know, he's still physical. He can still tackle guys, and he, and he likes to do it. He's competitive. Guys like that allow you to do things defensively. Do they continue to do that? He's going to be in his sixth year now. Um. That's that's those are a lot of questions we got to answer, and that and maybe that's as important as any of the things that you know Low Buffalo here is saying on the tweet sheet. And then testing that plan for attacking the middle of the field, regardless of who it's going to be, I think this offense is going to test a lot of things out during training camp, a lot of combinations, a lot of personnel groupings out to see what what's going to be their bread and butter this year. I know we know that we've got Josh Allen on our team and this team is going to be a pass heavy offense, but within that, how are they going to do it? How are they going to attack the field? How are you going to get digs the ball when maybe you have some other exciting pieces on the field that defenses will decide to pay attention to so you can get digs on a one-on-one matchup. Yeah, I- I think it's going to be more fun for us, meaning you, me, fans, people watching, to see who's playing on offense. How much is how much is Kincaid getting in? How much is Dawson Knox and Kincaid getting in? Are they rotating? Are they in together? Or are they separate? James Cook, Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, what's going to happen there? Diggs, Gabe Davis, Trent Sherfield and Khalil Shakir, Deontay Hardy. Who's in with who? Who's playing? Who's lining up? How do they look? And I don't care what routes they're all running. Where are they lining up and who are they on the field with? That'll tell you a lot about what they think of the guy. If Kincaid never puts his hand on the ground, that'll tell you a lot about where, where they're going to use him, right? If he's never in a three-point stance outside a tackle, he's always standing up, eh, okay, that might tell you something. Same thing with James Cook, how often is he in the backfield and then moves out of the backfield or lines up at the slot and then moves back into the tailback spot? How much is he moving around at all, period, you know? The more he moves around when he's on the field in practice, to me, that tells you that's how much they're going to use him. Because if he just goes lining up there and stands back there, yeah, they're not – his they're not using the skill set that we think he has. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're not using him as a route runner and as a a shift guy, as a – they're just going to put him at tailback and leave him there. That doesn't mean they can't use him effectively mm-hmm. there. But you know what I mean? It means 
they believe in him as a split wide receiver if they're putting him out there. And, and if he's moving around and staying out there, it's even more faith in him because they want to see what te- defenses think of him. He showed some of that at Georgia, and, and that's why oh, yeah. they drafted him because they believed that he had the potential to do something like that. I think and that's really fascinating. And he had really some of those explosive plays last wait. year. I can't wait I'm excited to see too. all this stuff. And then lastly, the right guard battle, settling that. Right. That'll be really interesting to watch, to see who they're putting in there. We we got a little bit of a glimpse of that during OTAs and mandatory minicamp, but the pads weren't on yet. We weren't playing yeah. real football yet. We haven't seen anything. That and starts next week. Yeah, at, It'll be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun to see, and I, I'm I'm, excited to see this roster take shape, no question. All right, don't forget we've got Sam Monson from PFF coming on the show at 2 o'clock. So shortly, when we come back from break, we'll take a couple calls. We've got a few callers hanging on the line, so stick with us here on One Bills Live. We're presented by Clyde Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. The Buffalo Bills strive to provide our fans with the best game day experience in the NFL, and we need you to help make it happen. Join the Buffalo Bills and our Highmark Stadium service partners for a stadium job fair on Saturday, July 22nd in the Ad Pro Sports Training Fieldhouse from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Available positions include ticket takers, security, parking lot flaggers, concessions, and housekeeping. Be a part of the team. Again, that's Saturday, July 22nd from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Our topic for today, what should the Bills' top three goals for this year's training camp be? We've got some callers that have been hanging on the line, so let's get over to Kevin from Hamburg. Kevin, you're on with us now. How are you doing today, Kevin? Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Yeah. What do you think the top three goals should be for this team? Well, obviously, camp? I talked about yesterday about the Packer game on his work on lack of turnovers this year. Definitely concentrate on that. Um, the trenches, like the one guy tweeted. And also, I want to bring up something about the Minnesota Viking game, about when we were up 20-7 to 7 to 10 or something in the second half, and we had him on the ropes, and that Delvin Cook ran, they ran like, I don't know how many yards, even though the Bills were still up, you could tell the air had been like the you know like a kick in the gut out of that stadium. Even though there was a lot of game left and the Bills still could have won, it was like that like uh oh. You could tell Bills fans' faces in the end zone when that guy ran in the end zone. Cook, they're like uh oh, this is gonna look scarier than it really should be or should have been. So not letting an opponent. Because Delvin Cook didn't do that wonderful in that game, except for that main big play, and not letting an opponent's running big play, because it's a running play, be something that bursts your bubble, even if it's not the end of a game. Okay, thank yeah, thanks, Kevin. You're right. Um, turnovers and drops we've talked, we've been harping on for weeks. Um, if the Bills don't, if they can cut those in half, which is very plausible, it's not, it's not that wouldn't even be a big deal. Um, it wouldn't even be an all-time low in turnovers or drops if they cut them in half. That's how bad they were last year. Uh, they would go a long way toward giving them a bigger margin of error and also keeping a lid on the defense, not letting explosive plays go. You're right. The Bills were up 17 points at the start of the fourth quarter against the Minnesota Vikings, and they lost that game in overtime. They had no business doing it. And, yeah, the Dalvin Cook 
The Dalvin Cook play was a big part of that. It would have meant nothing had the Bills been able to execute one quarterback sneak for no gain. That's it. Or if Cam Lewis swats the ball out of the air instead of trying for the interception and literally helping Justin Jefferson catch a fourth and 18 pass, they win that game. There's two plays that are game stoppers right there. And the Bills couldn't execute either one of them. One was as simple as a quarterback sneak for no gain. And it turned catastrophically into a touchdown for the Minnesota Vikings. So you tell me a couple of plays that could go more catastrophically wrong in a game, and both of which had to happen for the Vikings to beat the Bills here. Uh, Yes, you're right. Uh, The Dalvin Cook play is one you'd like to have back. It was a long run for a touchdown. It gave them – it gave the Bills a 10-point lead rather than a 17-point lead. But you go back and look at the Minnesota Viking game, and that that game was absolutely a, at a point where the Bills were the better football team and lost that game. And Sean McDermott, I mean, throughout the years, any time there's been big rushing plays or big plays, I know big plays happen you know, more frequently than big rushing plays for this team in terms of allowing them. He said, we got we to gotta stop this. We cannot do this. We cannot let up the big play. And in terms of stats from last year, this team ranked 17th, allowing 54 opponent rushes of 10 or more yards. So kind of middle of middle the pack, pack but yeah. middle low of the pack there. And then for – Plays of 20 or more yards, this is rushing or in the air, they tied for 11th, allowing 56 plays of 20 or more yards. So that's a category that this team on defense has honestly ranked pretty high in, I think, around top 10, top 15 always. I want to say in the last couple of years they've maybe been top five, but – yeah, allowing rushes of 10 or more yards, that's kind of been something that I know Sean McDermott has has harped on before because it has happened to this team before. Yeah. Explosive plays are what defenses call them, whether it's by the run or the pass. And they just didn't – They you know. and Dalvin Cook's a great player, and the Vikings were having a great year up to that point, and, and it continued. Um, but I think that game typified their entire year. They They lived like they did in the Bills game for the entire regular season. Um, it, it was uncanny how that game got away from the Buffalo Bills in their own building when they were up 17 points going into the fourth quarter, and it wasn't even close. And then all of a sudden, you know, get a great player like Dalvin Cook, snaps off, finds a crease, and outruns people to the end zone. Then your franchise quarterback and your and your highest-paid offensive lineman, your center, one of your highest-paid offensive linemen, your center, they can't execute an exchange. I know. Ugh. Uh, it's unbelievable. And then, not only did it not, they couldn't execute it, it was a touchdown for the other the other team. I mean, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. Tough. Um, Tough. So, you know, so all of that stuff happening, it's, it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. So, yeah, uh, you can point to a lot of things that happened during the regular season and how crazy it was, and I get it. But the Bills are a really good football team. They played really good. The only time teams beat them was when the Bills made a mistake or did it to themselves, and that's what happened to them in the Minnesota Viking game twice. So we'll, uh, 
you know, you just got to move on from it, try and learn from it. We'll see if it happens. When we return from break, Sam Monson from PFF will be joining us. He just released the top 50 best players in the NFL right now. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs made that list, so we'll definitely ask him about that. So don't go anywhere. Stick with us here on One Bills Live. We're presented by Kaleida Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome into a Thursday edition of One Bills Live, hour number two for us. Maddie Glab here alongside of Steve Tasker, and we're rolling right on. We've got our guest coming on with us now. Sam Monson from PFF joins us on the show. He's the lead analyst, lead NFL analyst for PFF, and he's also the co-host of the PFF NFL show. So, Sam, thanks for taking the time to join with us. I know you've got your top 50 list that is coming out, the top 10 at least tomorrow. We know 11 through 50, and we're excited to get into that with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, um, and for most people realize it's going to be Josh Allen at the top of the Bills list on, on this. He got, comes mm-hmm. in at number 12, and people are like, well, nah, he's better well, he's the second-best quarterback on your list, and you've got guys like Aaron Donald and all these guys. I mean, there's a lot of really elite players on this list. What's the most difficult part about comparing a defensive lineman pass rusher to a quarterback or a great running back to a wide receiver or a corner? Yeah, it's all really difficult. And, you know, one of the things we felt when we were doing this list, and it's important to point out, it's not just my list. There were right. a bunch of other names in PFF involved, so we can spread the blame around. Um, you know, but when we were doing the list, we felt a lot like we had the top 12 guys and there were 12 names and you know, going to fit 10 of them into a top 10 list. So we're kind of looking at this list going two of these top 10 players are going to have to be ranked outside the top 10. We've got 12 guys for 10 spots. And Josh Allen was one of those players that, that, that just missed out. Um, but it's difficult. You know, you, you, I think one way of doing it is to try and look at these guys relative to their peers and that's always been the way that we've sort of articulated how good Aaron Donald has been in the past is to say it's really difficult to directly compare Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Donald but one thing you can do is say the gap between Donald and the next guy has always been so huge and it isn't necessarily the case when it comes to quarterbacks you know in any given year Josh Allen could be the best quarterback or Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes it's a lot closer together than it is at some of these positions where there's clearly one guy who's head and shoulders above the rest of that position. So comparing the other players like you just did, for those who want to know, Justin Jefferson was number 11 from the Minnesota Vikings. We don't know one through 10 yet. Again, that's going to drop tomorrow on Friday, July 21st. But number 12 for Josh Allen, why is he deserving if we're painting it in a positive light? You know, you explained it's really tough. We thought there were 12 people who could fit into the top 10. Why is Josh Allen deserving of being one of the best in the NFL in your eyes? 
I mean, we've already seen what he's capable of at his peak, which is as good as any quarterback in the NFL. He's gone toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes, you know, on the biggest stage in the playoffs. And he didn't come up short. You know, the, the defense was what ended up letting them down in that game. But Josh Allen was slugging it out with Patrick Mahomes and playing at that kind of level and looking every bit as good. And I think when Josh Allen is playing at his best, he's in that same category of there's no answer. There's no solution to this. There's no defense you can call that he won't make wrong by just being better than you are and, and out executing whatever it is, whether it's with his arm, whether it's with his legs, he's capable of that kind of play. Now, I think the thing that separates him from Patrick Mahomes right now is that certainly last season, Allen was prone to a few more mistakes than Patrick Mahomes was. And that's the one area of his game that would give you just a little concern relative to somebody like Mahomes. And when I say concern, you know, we're saying he's the 12th best player in the entire NFL. So it's not like Josh Allen is anything other than a superstar, but these are the kind of hairs we're splitting when we're ranking the top 50 guys in the league. Yeah, certainly we, you know, you kind of got to run into that. You can say Mahomes and Allen because they're, they're just, skill set is so much on display every play because you're looking right at them with the ball in their hands. Meanwhile, you got wide receivers like Justin Jefferson, Steph Diggs, Chase, uh, Jamar Chase, you know, go down the list of elite AJ Brown, you know, down the list of these wide receivers. It's hard to quantify how different they are and how much do you think who's throwing them the ball plays into the hierarchy of who's playing well. You know, you got C.D. Lamb in Dallas. you got all these you know, great players, and it really does a lot of times depend on who's calling the plays and who's pulling the trigger. It does. It's a huge factor. It's really – it's why it's really difficult to rank football players. It's not just, you know, how do you compare a wide receiver to a defensive tackle, to a cornerback, to a quarterback. You have to be aware of – the other factors and the supporting cast and how much each other position sort of in, uh, affects each one of those players. And for wide receivers, it's absolutely relevant who's throwing them the football. And for a guy like Devontae Adams, that's why I think last season was, was big for him. He stepped outside of the, the embrace of Aaron Rodgers and showed that he could still be the same guy with a different quarterback. And I think objectively, a worse quarterback. You know, Derek Carr is not a Hall of Fame quarterback like Aaron Rodgers was. So being able to do the same thing and keep on trucking with a different environment and a different guy throwing him the football was huge for somebody like Devontae Adams. But you absolutely, you know, have to bear that in mind when you're looking at, you know, maybe a down season from from a certain player. Did did his supporting cast fail him or did he have a down year that in any given season? Stefan Diggs ranks at number 24 on the top 50. When you're looking at just wide receivers, he ranks fifth best heading into the 2023 season. What do you think is in store for Stefan Diggs this year with the Bills? I mean, I think he'll have another fantastic season. Stefan Diggs has only been productive with that Bills offense. He's still by far their number one threat, their number one target. There's no reason he shouldn't have another season that you know leads the league and categories or threatens to lead the league he's he's incredibly productive one of the best route runners in the nfl always been a better contested catch guy than you would expect for somebody that size i think he caught 50 percent of the contested balls thrown his way last season which is a, a very high number uh, particularly for a guy that isn't you know 6'3 220 pounds that kind of thing so and the connection he has with josh allen is special so absolutely i would expect him to have another phenomenal year this season one of the other articles you've written about is 
uh, has to do with coaching and the offensive coordinators around the league. And one of the interesting premises that you made, the point that you made, which I, I got to admit, it, it escaped me for a minute. There's not that many offensive coordinators that would fall into a top 10 because you've got guys that are just like Bill O'Brien in New England, really pretty good offensive coordinator by any standard, but he is was at Alabama last year. Um, right. Same thing all over the league. Plus, you've got guys like Eric Bieniemy, who in Kansas City was called the offensive coordinator, but Andy Reid's standing there with a the play sheet in his hand. All kinds of unique situations all around the NFL for all 32 teams. There's only there's less than half of the teams that have a clear cut offensive coordinator who have like maybe a like in Buffalo a defensive head coach who's not calling plays and never will. Uh, that's becoming more and more rare, or at least it's more unique than it has been in the past. Yeah, I mean, in this in today's NFL that's driven by offense, these offensive coordinators, as soon as they show anything, they're hired immediately to be head coaches and to bring their system to a, a team that's struggling and try and, you know, resuscitate a franchise. So you're left with basically half the league that are either first or second year offensive coordinators. Um, there's another group that you mentioned that, that the likes that are doing it under an offensive minded head coach who it's difficult to figure out how much they're doing relative to the the head coach pulling the strings. And then there's a few of these guys that are kind of retreads and proven commodities of some description, but have had to go elsewhere or had to take a step down. So, you know, we did defensive coordinators a few weeks ago and we did head coaches and nobody at PFF wanted to do the offensive coordinator list because you're kind of left with this situation of how much do we know about so many of these guys? And the list feels like it should really be sort of five names strong and then you get into trying to do a bit of guesswork. Um, but it's a very sort of strange landscape right now when it comes to offensive coordinators in the NFL. Ken Dorsey earned himself number two, number five on that list for top offensive coordinators in the NFL. And number one were the Detroit Lions, Ben Johnson, then Kellen Moore from the Chargers. Bill O'Brien from the Patriots and Shane Waldron from the Seattle Seahawks. That means the Kansas City Chiefs were outside of the top five. I know our fans are probably happy to hear that. But why did Ken Dorsey earn number five on this list? We saw him in his first year with the team. The team averaged over 28 points a game, which was really great to see them in top five in a lot of categories on offense. But where do you think this guy can go in year number two with, with a little bit more comfortability, I think, under his belt, too? Yeah, I mean, as you say, Buffalo were top five in pretty much any meaningful offensive category, whether it was a kind of base number or a more in-depth analytical uh, data point. It was one of the best offenses in the NFL. Obviously, having Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, that's going to help that. But I think we saw that the guy that everybody thought was sort of pulling the strings, the mastermind, mastermind behind this offense, left. He got his own head coaching job, and they were able to promote from within and not see – a giant drop off, not see, you know, this collapse because the guy that was running it left the building. So I think we saw the occasional uh, questionable play call from, from Ken Dorsey, but overall we clearly saw that this offense was going to continue to play at an extremely high level. And if he, you know, irons out a couple of those errors that he had in year one and year two, then I think he can show himself as one of the better offensive coordinators in the NFL and, you know, maybe get his own head, head coaching opportunity down the line. And it's interesting, too, because you do give some credence to what guys have done in the past, which is really the only basis you can because mm -hmm. nobody can predict the future. Yeah. Kellen Moore uh, 
leaving Dallas, going to uh, to the Chargers this year. First year as the Chargers had, uh, offensive coordinator. Who knows how he will do, but certainly uh, a guy who has had some success in Dallas. And then, of course, Bill O'Brien coming back to New England. Both those guys, are, you know, Kellen Moore, number two on your list, Bill O'Brien, number three. And the guy that I had forgotten about that was really intriguing to me was Shane Waldron. And for Bills fans, they may not know the name Shane Waldron. He's the guy <laughs> – that got the most out of a forgotten Geno Smith mm-hmm. last year in Seattle. He really got a lot of kudos. And and certainly Geno got a lot of uh, credit as well. But Shane Waldron really resurrecting the career of Geno Smith in Seattle. And I, I think really you'd have to put him in a short list of really quality offensive coordinators. Yeah, and the funny thing is when Shane Waldron was hired, the conversation was, you know, how is he going to get the most out of Russell Wilson? And right. Can that offense sort of play to Russell Wilson's strengths and, you know, try and get him back on track? And then obviously Russell Wilson gets traded away and Waldron ends up having to do this for a completely different quarterback with a, a different skill set and, and ends up getting a career year out of him. And not just a career year, but a year I don't think many people like, thought was there, you know, a completely right. unexpected season from Geno Smith. So I, I think last year generally was very impressive work from Waldron and a very different um, job requirement than I guess he would have expected to have when they hired him. PFF's lead NFL analyst Sam Monson is on with us. We've been talking about this offense this upcoming season and trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be on the field with who? What is this going to look like? Is this team going to run more 12 personnel because they drafted a guy in Dalton Kincaid? What are going to be the new wrinkles? And you believe that Deontay Hardy, one of the new wide receivers for this team, can have a, a big role with the Bills this season. Why do you believe that he can be a piece to this offense? He's a really exciting player, and obviously his career production isn't there. there he hasn't been a high-volume guy. But a couple of years ago when he was um, at his most healthy, his most impactful in that Saints offense, you know, at the end of the year we did a series where we looked at top wide receivers in a, in a lot of different areas. So against man coverage, against press coverage, against zone, um, in, in a whole variety of different categories. And the top of the list was all the same guys you expect. Stephon Diggs, A.J. Brown you know, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, it was all the elite receivers in the NFL. But if you didn't set the threshold high enough in terms of playing time, Deontay Hardy kept popping into that list as well as somebody that was incredibly productive in a much smaller sample size than any of these other guys. And he's got a lot of the skills that that makes him into a, a high impact type of player. He's got blazing speed. He's got short area quickness. He can make some contested catches as well. And this is by far the best quarterback situation that he's ever going to have played with, with Josh Allen. Yes, he played in New Orleans, but it was the very tail end of Drew Brees' career where he didn't have the arm anymore to push it downfield the way he used to. So the, the, the environment is here for Hardy to show his best play. And his best play is a problem for defenders to match up with because you don't have players that can rival his speed and quickness and the, that awkward size. You know, he's such a smaller guy that a six foot one cornerback is not used to dealing with that. And it is a very difficult type or different type of receiver to try and match up with. So I'm excited for what the additions generally with this bills offense can do Dalton Kincaid in the draft, obviously, and a 
a guy like DeAndre Hardy, I think this could be a really fun offense this year, even relative to the last couple of seasons. Yeah, and the Bills have spent a, a lot of their assets trying to into bolstering and refurbishing the offensive line up front. Their highest up free agent contract was to Connor McGovern from Dallas, uh, the Dallas left guard. Uh, they drafted Osiris Torrance from Florida and signed uh, – David Edwards. David Edwards, who was the starting guard for the Rams in their Super Bowl run two years ago. They've put a lot of effort into getting that offensive line better, plus bringing in Latavius Murray and Damian Harris along with James Cook. There's a lot of thought here in Buffalo that maybe the, the size and strength and athleticism of the offensive line may dictate maybe perhaps a shift or at least a bigger emphasis on situational running plays, Damian Harris, Latavius Murray pounding the rock a little bit and taking the burden off Josh Allen, particularly in short yardage goal line. What do you, uh, what do you, and, and off the top of your head, and I know you don't have this at your fingertips, you know, Josh Allen's running ability, you know, it's kind of a gift and a curse. Uh, you hate to see called runs by your quarterback, but they work when he's the biggest and fastest Josh. What did Latavius Murray and Damian Harris and this big offensive line, how does that change your view of maybe what Ken Dorsey has at his disposal? I think it's about options, you know, and about the number of ways you have to win. And that's a great thing about a guy like Josh Allen is he presents you as many different ways to win as there is at the quarterback position. You know, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. He can over, he can run right over defensive backs. He can run around defensive linemen. You know, he brings as many ways to win to the table as any quarterback in the NFL. But I think there's an acknowledgement with that, with Josh himself, with the Bills coaches, you, there's only so many times you want to go back to that well, you know, because every time you do, you potentially expose him to that hit that could cause an injury that could put him out for a period of time. So if you can do the same thing with a different player, with a, a power running back, you know, and, and not have to rely on Josh Allen, on those third downs, on those fourth downs where you've got to have two yards, I think they want to lean on that a little bit more next season and reduce the burden on Josh just a little bit. You know, not a huge amount because you still want that special um, sauce being brought to the table when you've got to have it. But every now and again, just try and reduce the workload that he's uh, being given or, or how many times you're relying on him physically, uh, then I think it's good for everybody. You know, I think it's a very difficult balance to try and find, you know, because – for a quarterback whose physicality, whose athleticism is a big part of his game, you can't, you don't want to take that off the table. You don't want to try and turn Josh Allen into Peyton Manning or Tom Brady and say, never run the ball. We're not doing that. We're going to play from the pocket all the time. You want him to bring that to the, to the table sometimes, but you also have to be aware that every time you do that, you're increasing that risk. So I think just playing with that balance and trying to move it a little bit away from that reliance on Josh Allen is all they're really doing with that. Flipping to the defensive side of the football, Sean McDermott's going to be calling plays for the defense this year, so we might see some new wrinkles or maybe some new sets, defensive sets uh, to this team this year. But last year they were a, a top 10, top 5 team in a lot of statistical categories, even without some of their best players like Von Miller or, or a, a guy in Tredavious White who was trying to work his way back to the field at the end of the season. You have him listed as the 15th best cornerback heading in to 
into the 2023 season. I think we're all expecting uh, a Trey White like we knew in his Pro Bowl days when when he was one of the best in the NFL. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder heading into the season, and we've heard from coaches and, and players that this guy has been working hard to get back at it and is looking very confident heading into this year. So what do you think he can do, and why was he at number 15 on that list? Yeah, a very tough guy to rank because obviously we know he's capable of truly elite play. Like He's as good as any corner in the NFL when he's playing at his very best, but those injuries have taken a toll, and we haven't seen that version of Tredavious White for a little while. So when you have injuries or when you have a track record like that, it's very difficult to project forward what you're going to get. Where on the spectrum of play that we've seen from Tredavious White are we going to get in 2023? And at this point, I think it's been a little bit of time since we've seen that very best version of him and we're um, sort of erring on the side of uh, caution and, and waiting till we see it again, but it's there, you know, we know that he's capable of that level of play. And if he can get himself 100% healthy and, you know, far enough removed from those injuries that he's, he's back at hundred percent and he feels himself again, then you know, this could be a huge, almost an addition to that bill's defense, right? Sort of getting a guy back that we haven't seen for a period of time and, that's one element I think that people overlook about this Buffalo defense is that secondary was banged up pretty much all last season, really from the start of the year all the way through different players, but they never really had a hundred percent healthy version of that defense or the defensive backfield, the secondary. Um, and if they get that this year, if they're just not dealing with this constant revolving door of injuries on the back end, like this defense could be a lot better than it was a year ago when it comes to coverage and play against the pass. One last thing I got for you, Sam, is you also did an article, and it's always difficult to say, but some coaches really feel like they're – some fan bases feel like their coaches are kind of wearing out their welcome. Uh, you start with uh, Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland, Mike McCarthy even in Dallas, uh, Brandon Staley, the L.A. Chargers, Josh McDaniels, Todd Bowles in Tampa Bay. Those are your top five guys that people might want to take – if they don't get off to a good start or perhaps have a poor season throughout – they may the team may move on. What, what? Yeah, is this? I mean, what information do you use? Do you go to those? Do you ask people who know those teams, or do you strictly go by cut and dried production, win loss history, outlook? Has the team got? You know what I mean? Uh, their history as the head yeah. coach. Well, what do you use for that? And and give us some insights as maybe who which of these seats is the hottest. Yeah, it's funny. I, I very specifically wanted to stay away from using the term the hot seat when I was writing that article, because right. I don't think some of those guys are necessarily on the hot seat. It's not like, you know, a, a bad year and they're immediately going to get fired at the end of the season. They're going to be, you know, one of those coaches that doesn't even make it to the following Monday. Right. But I wanted to look at coaches that I thought were under pressure this season, whether it's to bounce back after a rough season and, and they are actually on the hot seat or simply they need to prove something or, or need to kind of get over the hump or take the next step. And there's a few coaches, I think, that fall into that category where they're doing fine. It's not like they're even doing anything wrong. They just haven't had the results go their way. And there's a, a couple of different teams, I think, that are in that category where because of this crazy landscape right now where Kansas City is, is so dominant and the AFC generally is such a, an incredibly loaded conference, there's a lot of teams, I think, that are – you know, in, in abstract terms, they're doing well. They're winning games. They're having good records at the end of the year, but they're not getting where they want to go or where they need to go. 
because there's so many roadblocks in the way and they just sort of need to try and get over that next step. Um, but doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to fire one of those guys at the end of the year if it doesn't unravel. But I think you, you have that interesting dynamic this year where there's a couple of coaches that could be legitimately on the hot seat in those circumstances, even if they do a good job. And one of those, I think the most interesting one maybe of that entire list is Bill Belichick, who you're starting to hear that now. I think Tom Curran of NBC was saying that Belichick is very much on the hot seat this year, which seems crazy to talk about for arguably the greatest coach of all time who's still winning games, just not enough. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is crazy. Uh, before we let you go here, do you want to give us a, a quick um, teaser for the top 10 list that's going to come out tomorrow? I know you're not going to reveal any names, but anything that we should expect or the NFL fans should expect? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the names that you would expect being on that top 10 list. Mm -hmm. There's no massive surprises, I think, there. Maybe the order will surprise people a little bit. One of the kind of defining uh, traits, I think, of this list is we're not writing guys off too soon. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy like Aaron Donald. Donald's been the best player in the NFL for a long period of time, and he got his first real injury last season. You know, so he missed whatever it was, six games. We didn't get to see a full season of Aaron Donald. I wouldn't be too quick to write Aaron Donald off just yet. That guy is maybe the greatest defender to ever play the game. Let's not assume that one injury means it's time to write his eulogy. All right. Good Sam, stuff, Sam. Thanks for the time. Thanks for jumping on with us. We appreciate, appreciate the insight. Anytime, guys. Take it easy. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Sam Monson from PFF. He's the lead NFL analyst. He also co-hosts the PFF NFL show. You can head over to PFF.com or the PFF app to get more from Sam Monson and other analysts. Good stuff. We'll see who's on that top 10 list. I mean, I know we would have loved to have seen Josh on that top 10 list, but he makes some good points as, as to, hey, there are 12 people who are in the top 10. Some of the turnovers uh, have separated him from some yeah. of the other best quarterbacks in the league. Well, he is, he is, number, he is the second quarterback on the list. Yeah. Mahomes is first. That's so a good he's thing a, to remember. Right. So he's, Mahomes uh, yeah. and Josh. Yeah, and we and can say it's, we know Mahomes is going to be in the top 10, of right. course. <laughs> so, and, you know, and, you know, so he's ahead of Joe Burry. He's ahead of, you know, of Aaron Rodgers. He's ahead of um, Justin Herbert. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, anybody else you name. So Josh is right at the top of the list of quarterbacks. I think when you start picking guys out uh, of the NFL as being great players, certainly there's a ton of really good players, but they don't all play quarterback. It's hard to rank. Yeah, it's hard to rank people when you're joining right. positions together. You that makes play it really, really tough. Good, you can play really good at left guard, but there's not too many people who can realize how good, how much better you are than some other left guard on another team. Uh, takes a lot of analysis to do that. And then those guys decide they're going to try it. And that's what they did. We'll continue the conversation about the top three goals for this team once we get into training camp. What do you think the top three goals are for the Bills as we head to St. John Fisher here soon enough? Give us a call, 803-0550. We'll be right back. Join us here on One Bills Live. We're presented by Clyde Health on Buffalo Bills Radio.
right, we're back on One Bills Live, and Aaron Rodgers has met with the media. The Jets finished up their first training camp practice today, and we were going to say if we heard or saw anything noteworthy that he said. I don't. I didn't see anything really come across my Twitter timeline. I know you were just listening to a quote that he said, and yeah. just, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be around the yeah, guys. He also said um, blah, blah, blah. something interesting just in passing that it, it – you feel like he feels like the window's not just a one-year window there, so which may tell you that he's planning You're on being be there. Are you going to be here longer than a um, year, sir? Maybe he has said that to the New York media or mm-hmm. made that public some other way, but to me that says he's planning on being there for a minute, uh, at least two years. So um, good for him, and, and the Jets are off and running, and let's face it, nobody, nobody's got any losses yet uh, in the league, and – it's fun to be playing, that's for sure. And I'm sure he does feel invigorated by the atmosphere around, you know, there in Florham Park. So, um, yeah, power to him, man. Those guys, are, he's got to feel great right now. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch Hard Knocks as that comes out. It airs on August 8th. They'll be covering practices, meetings. I know the Jets didn't want to be a part of Hard Knocks, but – They had no choice, the NFL told them, so (laughs) we will definitely be uh, frequent viewers of that show once it begins on August 8th. Our Twitter topic today, what should be the Bills' top three goals for this year's training camp? We've got a caller hanging on the line who's been waiting to answer that question, so let's go over to Big Slim from St. Pete. You're joining us on the show now. What do you think of the goals for the Bills? Hey, how you all doing? How you doing, Miss Maddie? How you doing, Mr. Hall of Famer? We're doing good. Um, <laughs> so, about the three goals, the three goals you guys pretty much covered it. Other than uh, you know, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Um, I have kind of a silly question, and I kind of wanted to answer the question from yesterday um, about the training camp. I feel like all eyes basically are going to also be on Demar Hamlin um, for training camp. Like, why shouldn't they be? And um, for my little silly question, I just kind of wanted to know what year. It was when Bills Mafia, before we were even Bills Mafia, ran out on the field and uh, with the whole uh, field goal post. The reason I'm asking is because I see it in college a lot, and I'm just curious why uh, and if and when we win the Super Bowl, we're going to go crazy again. <laughs> I'm going to hang up and listen to you all. Thank you. All right. uh, Thank you. The, I, I think I remember it was called Fandemonium at that time. The last time I think they did I was there. It was like uh, 88 was the f- – was when they stormed the field. And they did it a couple of weeks in a row when we started winning. Um, and Bill Poling was the GM. And remember, they had uh, – there's a lot of stories that go on with it. But I think that was when it was, 1988. 1988, you're right. And that's when the fandomonium thing happened. Buffalo clinched the AFC East division title by the blocked kick literally the at the hands of the legend Fred Smurloss. Yeah, so Fred, Freddie blocks it. Fans go crazy. They tear the goalposts down. They bring some goalposts in the next week. And so they, they don't want to do it again, you know. So they brought horses, mounted cops out on horses. And that didn't stop the fans. Um, the fans came out anyway. And the horses were like, I'm getting out. They, the horses were running up the, t- the tunnel, right? What really stopped them was when the cops brought out the canine dogs. When the German shepherds were standing oh, yeah, there. Nobody came on the field, <laughs> so because they always everybody thought, man, they, that guy gives that dog the command. I'm, you know, thing's gonna bite me. 
So um, when they brought dog horses didn't do it, but when they brought the dogs down, people stopped coming on the field. And uh, so that was that was the way that happened. But yeah, it was 1988 was when they did it. And, and he's right. DeMar Hamlin is going to be a focus of attention. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see the tack he takes and the reps he takes and all of that. Let's not forget, he was the third safety to replace Micah Hyde. So it was him and then it was uh, Cam Chancellor or Cam uh, Lewis. Uh, and then DeMar got on the field, and that's when, you know, he got his injury. Um, now they've got an extra guy in the rotation. I, you know, DeMar, it, it's, he's in a battle for a roster spot, I would think. I, I don't know that for sure, but it's not an easy team to make. It's not an easy roster to make, particularly when they, when they signed Taylor Rapp to a contract, and you know he's going to be there. So we'll see. Uh, but, but I'm – I think – a they've lot got, of people are going to be watching DeMar very closely. Yeah, they've got six safeties on the roster right now. Obviously, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Taylor Rapp, DeMar Hamlin. And the other two are Jared Maiden and Zane Anderson. Zane Anderson was a free agency signing by the Buffalo Bills. He came over from the Kansas City Chiefs, played two seasons for them, didn't have much time on the field. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that battle comes together. And, and Sean McDermott told us one of the practices that we weren't at or once our time ended when we could watch the practice, he said the, a week later, a couple days later, when DeMar Hamlin was fully back, that, hey, DeMar had an interception in practice the other day. So this kid is not just suiting up to practice. He's making plays on the field as well, right. which I think is wonderful to hear and wonderful to see for his teammates and, and the coaching staff. Um, I'm excited to see him out on the field once training camp practices uh, begin, getting back into it for him as well. You know, maybe maybe the time off after – Mandatory minicamp was really good for him. More time to rehab, more more time to get back into things, more time to get back into football shape, um, which is something that is going to take time for Damar Hamlin. Um, so, yeah, get back at it, get on the yeah, field. Yeah, it'll be great to see him out there. He's um, he's fully cleared. Um, it's awesome to see that uh, it's. At this time of year, every team looks great because you're not missing anybody due to injury usually. Um, or, you know, like the Bills, they, they're missing Vaughn, but he's on his way back, right? So you're kind of on the uptick there. It's, uh, it's a fun time to be around this, the club uh, when it's fully formed and you don't know who the 53 are going to be, but they're in the room somewhere, plus a lot of extra guys who are really cool dudes too. So, uh, and it's, it's like I said, we're so excited to start training camp because of the fact that the atmosphere is just as alive as it ever gets in the NFL. Your at your uh, access to the players is never greater than it is in training mm -hmm. camp. We get to watch you know, all the interaction, practice. the casual nature, the everybody's guards down. It's not like in a big stadium where you're thirty yards away from these guys and they're they're running around on the field away from you. You're you know you're ten you're thirty feet away from them, yeah. and you can hear their conversations and hear the tone of their voice. It's it's a lot of fun, and uh, yeah. So I'm I, I, those stories that uh, that Big Slim just mentioned. Certainly, the Bills and every other th and 31 other teams are looking to win a Super Bowl this year. Demar Hamlin is a huge story that's going to continue into this year. Everything that happens to him, good or bad, is going to be taken note of around the league. And of course, uh, yeah, the Bills Mafia is always going to be a, a thing here. Oh yeah. I, 
is I, I, they're going to do that. I, I, I don't know why I've, I've got this on my. I'm going off on a tangent. All right, let's I hear think it. about the Bills Mafia and the Give it to parking. us, Tasker. They're building the stadium across the street now. And for those of you who don't know, about once a week, maybe twice a week, we're getting a boom over here because they're blasting. Oh my gosh! I didn't right? know a boom was going to happen, and know? it happened before the show yesterday. Right? And I like literally grabbed the table so and looked around and was like, "Is the world ending?" They're blasting over there, and as per usual, you know, OSHA's over there. The you know, safety of your Making workplace. Making sure everything, yeah. They got that thing fenced off. Like, it's like 50 acres fenced off. I'm like, where are people going to park for these games? Yeah. This stadium they're building is gigantic. So there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be displaced from their parking spots who have – and I'm kind of wondering how it's going to be on game day this year mm-hmm. and how it's going to disrupt the normal flow of where Bill's Mafia has been and stuff. People are going to have be a little bit distressed. It's going to be, an, it's going to be a transition period for a couple of years here, so you've got to kind of get your mind around it before you come in. Yeah, Bill's Mafia will still show up. We oh, know yeah. that for sure. Oh, they'll show up. But where? where? They, but where are they going to go? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a that's a good question for sure. One more uh, answer to the tweet sheet before we had to break. Larry says, figure out how to run the ball with running backs, not the quarterback. Find your middle linebacker, not just someone to hold the position until next year. And are Hyde and Miller, Mike Hyde and Von Miller, going to come back close to where they were before the injuries? I think that last one is yeah. it's a question. I, I believe with with how they've played, and Von Miller has faced injuries before, Micah has as well, right. and they've been able to come back. I know this neck injury for Micah is a little bit different. Von Miller's had that ACL injury before. It wasn't as bad of a tear this time around. So I, I think they're more than capable of coming yeah. back and, and Re- ready to go. Remember, Micah was going to play in the championship game last year. Mm-hmm. He was – itching to come back and play last season so he's been chomping at the bit to get back he's had an incredibly normal offseason Vaughn on the other hand you see you see him working out and stuff you know he's out there working to get back to that point and you think with Vaughn's personality and what we have come to know him as here in Buffalo and I'm sure the people in Denver feel the same way and the guys in LA where he was there feel the same way as well he's the kind of guy who's going to come back faster not slower you know and when he does come back, you got to think he's going to add some juice to whatever he does. You know, the, the pass rush, the defense, the atmosphere in the room, everything. Uh, that's just kind of the way I would envision it because of who he has been to this point. So, um, Hyde and Miller, Hyde's already back to me. He's been back. Vaughn is going to start contributing little by little off the field and between the lines before he's actually on the field as well. So, it's going to be fun to see. And I think one thing that you can spin as a positive, yes, these are older players, and yes, the question, you know, for for Micah Hyde is, how many years does he have left in the tank? But I think also a, a positive thing about these two players coming back from injury is at this point in your career, you know your body better than anybody else. The trainers that you've been working with for years know your body really well as well. And you know exactly what you need to do to be in football playing shape. The older guys on the roster, those are the guys who know how to get it done. They're not learning about football shape anymore. Right. That, is, that is what they are experts at because they have to do it time and time again. And they've had to rehab from injuries before. So I think these guys are going to be 
back and ready to go. Yeah. Micah Hyde for I sure. Yeah, we'll too. see about Von Miller next week. We're going to get news about that for sure when we hear from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. I would assume uh, the first week, first couple days of camp, we'll get an update on Von Miller. All right, break time for us. When we come back, we will close out the show here on One Bills Live. We're presented by Clyda Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, we're back here on One Bills Live. Some great answers from our Twitter question today. What should be the Bills' top three goals for this year's training camp? Other ones that we haven't covered. Kair Elam winning the cornerback two job. Turn off the salary cap only for the Bills. You know, I wish that could happen. Somebody (laughs) said finesse Zach Martin from Dallas. He's an offensive lineman who is not happy with what he's getting paid by the Dallas Cowboys. We'll see what happens with that. Somebody said sign Dalvin James Cook. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's probably – well, I mean, he's out there, no he's question. He's out there. Uh, Zach Martin is unhappy in Dallas. I don't think he's going anywhere, um, and nobody's turning the salary cap off for the Bills. So, I, um, yeah, fun stuff to think about at training camp. But I, the Bills uh, – I don't know, a lot of people might have missed this. We talked about it. Uh, the Bills are actually – second in the NFL in money actually spent this year, cash out of pocket. Mm-hmm. So that'll come, you know, they'll come back, you know, reel it in next year. But by the same token, they got a lot of guys that are coming off the roster this next year. So they're going to have some cap space because of all the one-year deals that they've got coming off the books. Now they're going to, you know, have to sign some guys. But, uh, you know, they're, they're making it go and they're doing it the way they do it, uh, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. And it's worked really well. And it looks like they're going to be able to continue to do that with the way they structure contracts. So they're, they're doing really well, and, I, and I, the salary cap has not been an issue yet. Now, it may in the future, but not now. and not I don't think it'll be a big issue next year. Either. It's only going to continue to go up. Another one was figure right. out how to integrate more yak into this offense. I think we could all agree that with this one, we want to see more yards, sure. yards after catch, yards after contact, all of that for this offense. Um, I think – Hey, this team can do it. They can learn from mistakes last year. They can grow from last year. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to have Caleb Ford on with us. He had a wish to be a part of the Buffalo Bills for a day. He was able to do so, so we're excited to talk to him. Tomorrow at 2 o'clock, join us from 1 to 3.